one. Normally, I'm excited to bring back someone with a new project, yet this one feels a little bittersweet to say congrats on the progress because Dustin Lawson, you created it. Welcome back, by the way. Yeah, thank you for having me back on. Uh, you created the Logos Party, and you've talked about Dr. Democracy. And firstly, what prompted me to call you was I read through the uh, speech of George Washington and his farewell address. Yep. And one of the first things that I popped up in, like he called the riots an insurrection that we even saw just two months ago because of the party system. Uh-huh. However, it seems like you were you were sort of in line with Washington and thinking that would happen a long time ago. And now you're saying Dr. Democracy is unemployed. Did the riots have anything to do with that? And I know the next line after is what really got to you from, from this feral address from Washington. Sure. Um, well, I, I, as a writer, I think I'm, I'm a novelist at heart and I prefer to write through story. And so I took basically all the same concepts within um, the Logos Party and just took off the party label and put it within a short novel in which Dr. Democracy was unemployed because mm. I just, I mean, he's in the, in the book, it's been a couple decades actually that he's just been homeless walking the streets of DC talking to teenagers who are there on their, trying to help them, um, teach them mm. a, a better path. Well, did Dr. Dr. Democracy uh, learn from Washington? Was he inspired by Washington? Uh, definitely. Uh, he's, he was working for him ever since, since then for the past 200 years. So, uh, but, um, during the administration, Washington administration is when the first two political parties actually got started, which frustrated mm-hmm. Washington immensely because he's probably the only independent president we've ever had. And, um, in the, in the book, Dr. Democracy says that he helped him write this farewell address and the warning wasn't heeded, but the enemies, um, also read it and saw it as a good blueprint for using partisan dogma to help divide our country. Well, let me talk to you about that for a second, because our enemies, you know, we were locked down, but I often felt our enemies were not locked down. In fact, they were ready to cancel us every which way. So was Dr. Democracy, would he be happy that at least we sent our battleships over there to defend uh, territories to block away Russia and Iran? Or what would he say about that? He would say that the greatest threats um, to a democracy come from within its own borders, but you still have to have a strong national security, but you have to be careful because one of the ways that democracy dies is by always having a constant foreign threat that blinds you to the reality that your greatest threats come from within. So having strong national security, but be careful not to let it blind you to the reality you're dying from within. Haven't we seen it? I mean, I'd admit it was on both sides. Um, we know that there was foreign influence with the Clinton years and the Obama, all these other years. And, but was is the Trump administration right up along with it, or is that being spun too much? What are your thoughts on that compared to the other administrations we've had? As far as um, the foreign interference, foreign influence? well, yeah. it's not as subtle anymore. It's more, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little more obvious. Mm-hmm. And actually um, in the novel, there's like a five-step process that the, the foreign enemies use to kill a democracy from within. And number one is you have to kill it gradually. And so they would say that it's going a little too fast. They, they would tell them mm. to slow it down because the, if, you, if you kill it too quickly, then the people see it coming. And you have to keep them from being aware that their democracy is dying. And it's kind of making it a little too obvious. 
you were a former White House speechwriter, and yes. so and Doctor Democracy traveled with you during those times. Sure. Was he disheartened like you? What you saw in the White House as a speechwriter? Were you happy as a speechwriter? What was your? Um, um it was a frustrating. My position uh, was a non. Uh, I was mostly writing nonpartisan speeches, so that was good. I didn't have to. I mean, I I, didn't, I got the job because I wasn't Democrat. I wasn't Democrat or Republican. I probably got it more because I was a public affairs officer in the military. Sure. And so they didn't rely. They didn't really care that I was nonpartisan. But the longer I worked there, the more it became obvious that that was a problem, and that oh, they wow. they wanted me okay. to they wanted me definitely to fall in line more, and I wasn't willing to. Um, I, I like this quote by Thomas Jefferson where he says, "I never gave my full devotion to an ideology to any group. I retained my independent mind because I didn't want to fall in line completely with anything, and that was clearly not." the kind of people that they wanted in. You've seen it over the four years where they brought in people who were credible, like a Mattis or something, but they've gradually weeded them out to have just yes men. Let me me ask you about Jefferson because some would argue, and I would argue, that the ruining of democracy is also getting rid of our history. So is that Mm -hmm. also when you tear down statues like uh, Mm -hmm. Jefferson and Washington, and maybe you feel like we shouldn't be too concerned with that. I am. Um, because I think it's it's a general feel that we're tearing down our democracy even through that. Would you agree? Uh, I I was in Ohio and I got back about two or three weeks ago and I stopped in Gettysburg on the way back. And as I drove through there, I saw there's like 40 Confederate statues. And I see in that setting, it makes sense. Robert E. Lee's statue is there because he was leading his soldiers right there in battle and it commemorates that what event what took place there right. i guess to have it on this town square though of a, of a city might seem a little more um i don't know like you're venerating it too much and personally i mean i i'm still gonna learn about robert e lee in my history class but mm. i don't know i think emotions swings the pendulum swings and it comes back in the middle somewhere eventually so but would would dr democracy argue that not going through the processes of even voting to take them right take them down versus right. literally taking them down is, right. is sort of defying democracy yep. in and of itself. No, he would he would definitely say that. Like they, they just took the Confederate flag off of Mississippi, but they voted it. He would right. say that exactly. that's the better process, yeah. So yeah. what do we do? How do we maintain democracy? How do we keep it? And does the 2020 election determine this or, or do, is it way past that? Um, I think regardless of who wins, partisan dogma will still be a big, big problem. But I think we can also see the influence of what one person can do. And mm-hmm. I do think there, there, we need a, li- a little bit more of a stable, a stabilizing force. And I think a democracy, uh, President Ford, in his confirmation to be vice president, he said, truth is the glue that holds a government together. And if you sacrifice truth and start destroying it, like George Orwell said in 1984, a totalitarian dictator could keep his, that's how he keeps his government together by propaganda. Mm. But if a democracy loses its hunger for truth, it begins to fall apart. And so I think that needs to be our greatest commitment. Dustin, I've got to ask you this, and you're, you're with the Logos party and you're following this, I'm sure every day mm-hmm. as we go through the travails of all this, but we just celebrated independence. We just celebrated self-governance. Isn't it up to us? And, and I've always thought that 
whoever was in charge, it still is up to us on the ground level day in and day out. It really, what we see at the top is, is we can control through the voting box, mm-hmm. but on the day-to-day basis, isn't what the independence meant for self-governance something we can all do in our daily lives that maybe we aren't doing enough of? Well, I would definitely agree that um, our obligation to the health of our democracy is definitely more than just voting. Civil society is the daily thing. And in the the metaphor I use in the book, I I compare our democracy to a body. So the nervous system is the free press that brings information, but the circulatory system is the people who actually participate, Mm -hmm. not just, and Thomas Jefferson also said that we don't have um, a government by the majority. We have a government by the majority who participate. Right. So the circulation of the body isn't very very good unless there's wide participation by an informed electorate. And so I think on it is on a daily basis, each of us in our own lives to get more involved. Now, this next question, feel free to speak on both your and uh, Dr. Democracy's behalf. Um, We've seen now through voting, uh, you know, a vote to disband the police in Minnesota. I mean, isn't this a wrong way of democracy? I mean, isn't this going a bit south now when we start voting to take away our law enforcement and defunding it? Um, personally, I think it should be a more gradual process. I guess I don't completely understand what they meant by defund. If it meant, okay, let's start the clean slate and then rehire people through a better vetting process. Because I, I listened to a podcast where they had a, a, an officer who was a prior Marine and he just said how much better prepared he was that the standards for like physical fitness and shooting and also character qualifications are just pretty lax in a lot of locations. But um, so I would say complete anarchy is not good. Keep us, keep the security mm-hmm. force in place and then reform as you go at, instead of complete overhaul all at mm. once. Well, and you're from a military background, so how does it make you feel when you see all this distrust in law enforcement trickle down into or trickle up to leadership in New York City and elsewhere? It must hurt you that our leaders don't even trust law enforcement right now. Oh, no, definitely. But as a soldier, I also understood that there's some soldiers that shouldn't be soldiers. And on my deploy deployment, our commander, he would say, when we'd have a private meeting, he's like, I spend 90% of my time on 10% of our trouble on our problem soldiers. Mm. And so there is, there does need to be a process of weeding them out. And we need to be honest about it first and foremost. Cool. You can't, you can't be like moving them around to different districts and moving to another state. You got to, in the military, it, they've had their issues with hiding stuff. Just mm-hmm. the best option is to be completely honest about it right up front and say, hey, we got some troublemakers. We're weeding them out. Instead well, this of trying think, to hide it. I think the vote to repeal 50A was actually a really big deal, right? So instead of saying, you know, there are some on the force that now, now we're actually saying, all right, well, let's not say some. Let's pinpoint exactly on the force, have had their issues, and get them out. And I think that's better than painting a broad brush, don't you? Uh, definitely. I I am very much against broad generalizations. They, they tend to, um, I think, Sorry, I use a lot of quotes. But JFK said, "We prefer the comfort. We prefer the comfort of opinion instead of the discomfort of thought. And the comfort of opinion comes through a broad generalization. They don't have to look at the nuance of an issue, mm-hmm. and so we can easily pick sides that way. But if we look at the details of it, like okay, there's more nuance to this issue. 
it's then... clearly it's clearly not everybody. There's lots of great cops. I've known I have I know many lots of good, good cops and yeah, mm -hmm. so definitely broad generalizations are a problem. But but then let's talk about democracy. How how much how valuable is it that law enforcement and yes, we've seen this on both sides in our intelligence agencies. We've seen seemingly spying on a campaign. I mean, I that's what I saw. I don't know if you saw the same thing. So we've seen law enforcement act in, in sort of a spying on a campaign. And we've also seen it now um, be distrusted on the local level. So how important is law enforcement on all levels to the democracy? Um, let's start from the street level sure. all the way up. Um. I'll go back to the body of a democracy analogy. The immune system is the rule of law. So there's both the judicial system and then the systems that enforce it. So if the rule of law is applied equally to all sexes, races, social classes, then it has a strong immune system that, yeah, it might let sickness in, but it can quickly adapt and kick it out mm -hmm. and reform laws. And so the rule of law is essential to a democracy because a democracy is a system of laws. And if you have no credible enforcement, I mean, I just jogged by the Supreme Court a couple of days ago and across the top, it says equal justice under law. Mm. That's the issue though, is the, the equal justice part. And it's a, it's a constant um, process of trying to make it more and more equal. Clearly we've seen in the past couple of months, there's still issues with that. Well, and I'm glad you brought up SCOTUS because at least they know the integrity of the election is, is valuable yeah. to democracy. And so they said, no, you can't have a rogue elector in the college. And I think that's a big deal. Thank you. Yes, man, that was, I was very glad to see that. Now I'd like to see it be proportional where it's not all, or, it's not winner take all. Like mm. Texas, it's like 50 delegates. And if you win 51%, then you get all 50. I think that's that's a big problem. If we're going to have the electoral college, maybe it should be a little more proportional instead of all. Well, and, and you would you would say that for the delegates in the primary, right? Because sometimes yeah. like, the super delegates come in and mm -hmm. they swell up uh, one side, and maybe that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. So, all right, I've never asked anybody this because I don't believe in disbanding the electoral college. I think it's mm -hmm. necessary. I think when you do have a, a big popularity, popular vote win, that sort of leads to anarchy because. You're dealing, I, I don't know. It's just, you have to have some sort of regulation. Sure. But you're saying there's a better way. So, so expand on that. Yeah. Um, well, there's, I think there's one or two states. I don't, don't uh, quote me on that, that actually are proportional, but most of them are not. It's winner take all. So that, that makes like in California or Texas, it makes the votes for a lot of people. If, okay, if you're a Democrat in Texas or if you're a Republican in California, it feels like your vote doesn't really count because it's mm. so clearly liberal or conservative. But it's if it's proportional, then mm. you're still getting delegates for your candidate. And I would think that would make people that would give the electoral system a lot more integrity in the eyes of voters. Let me ask you this. If Iowa doesn't happen, if the Democratic process doesn't turn chaotic like it did in January or sure. yeah, I think it was January. Does the SCOTUS rule differently, or do you think this was going to be unanimous nonetheless? Good question. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. I think um, I think it definitely helped, but uh, I don't know. They're surprising me the past couple, the past month with a lot of their votes. <laughs> it, <laughs> so it has been it's hard uh, to tell. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you why. Was today was surprising because the unanimous to me means yes, even the 
despite all the belief, right. the liberals on the court still believe in the process. I mean, right. they, they do. And right. I think that's important to highlight. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Because, you know, they have this broad brush of uh, uh, liberals don't want law and order and the Republicans this that, and the other. I don't know. Again, we broad brush everybody. Sure. Like, so what would Washington say if he was looking President Trump? Because I can tell from the tone, you're not too pleased with President Trump. Um, but what would he say to him today, looking him dead in the eye, saying, you are touting me at Mount Rushmore, but yep. you could do better. Yep. What, what would he say? Um, I'm careful to put words in the people of history, unless I'm using sure. their, the words that they've actually said. And in his farewell address, um, when he spoke against the problem of parties, not, I would say, I would think he would say parties themselves are not inherently wrong, but they just become a fertile ground for the partisanship that divides a country. And he clearly says in his farewell address that the, the passion of parties, they become so, anim, they become so, such great animosity towards one another that yeah. they forget the bigger picture of their democracy and they see the other party as the greater enemy than any foreign influence. So then they seek foreign influence to help them fight that, realizing that they should be allies together. And I think he would probably just reaffirm what he said in his farewell address. That I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. And my, my, my battle was, because I watched the Bolton thing a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they go back to the 18 press conference where Trump's talking to Putin. And look, at the time, I was kind of saying, look, this guy just wants, you know, Trump just wants Russia. And I think in a way it was Washingtonian. I think he wanted neutrality with that because he didn't want to start a war with Russia right then. Sure. Let's say he says, yeah, this guy's totally that, – that Russia would get so pissed they might start a war the next minute. So I think he was trying to be careful. And at the same time, the intel agencies were not that reliable at the time. But what could he have said differently on that stage that would have helped people not feel he was in Russia's pocket? In Helsinki, you mean? Yeah, yep. Well, I think mo- both sides would say Trump, regardless of what – they think about him is maybe not the most eloquent or the most diplomatic in his words. Maybe someone like a Reagan would have, would have came out much more diplomatically. So it would have um, stayed on a more even keel, but it seemed like he completely threw his 16 national security agencies under the bus. Um, I think there could have definitely been a better path to say, we need to keep looking at this mm-hmm. instead of completely say, completely side with Putin and say, hey, I need to keep looking at this issue more, keep it open-ended instead of just completely throw all 16 of them under the bus like he did. Because from their perspective, they're like, well, wait a minute. This is our full-time job. We are trying to bring you. We have right. we have flaws. We have issues. But we're working together a lot better than we used to. And we're trying to bring you the best possible information. And this is what we think is the issue. Well, have they shown Russia or any influence to be starting already? Uh, in this process, I guess they have, right? Um, it would only be my assumption that, of course, they they saw how easily they seem to have gotten away with it the last one. So they're like, hey, might as well keep trying it until they can clearly put a clear de- wall up. And if they have an open door through the social media, uh, then they're gonna. I'm I'm sure they're gonna keep doing it. 
I hear that there's this big office building in downtown Moscow. It's got mm. hundreds of people staffed. It's all they do is create, try to create fake accounts and put out false information. But, but we've also seen China do it too, right? So sure. it's kind of like everybody's hitting. I'm guessing every, every major country is doing it to every other country. I would say we are probably doing it as well. Um, but we should still be fighting against it. <laughs> Let me let me ask you about um, that because Washington very much didn't want us to interfere with sure. you know European issues and uh, foreign issues. He really wanted us to stay neutral and stay to our home, and he even prosecuted those who did you know fight for the French sure. Revolution, for example. But and I agree with him. I, I I think being isolationist to a point works, doesn't it? To put our country first. Um, I think Washington was probably someone who was open-minded enough to adapt with the times, and he would say, hey, it takes a letter three months to get across the ocean in 1792. Now, mm. with globalization, and we're such a young country in 1790, we just got through a war, we need to establish ourselves before we start sending soldiers over to help the French, because I know Jefferson was pretty ticked off because we didn't help them, and I think Washington would have a little more of a broader perspective to see that there is a necessity to um, try to help influence on the world stage now that we're 200 some years old. Well, let's talk about that part too, because I mentioned on my sure. Saturday pod, um, I think we've gone too far on the influence. Yes, we can support oh, sure. people's general election, sure. but I don't want us being the one putting someone else up there to lead. That's not yep. our role. Yep. That is not our role. Our yep. role is to influence, sure, but not put yep. someone else there. As um, a soldier, I would side with someone like Tulsi Gabbard, who'd said, hey, regime change doesn't work. We've already seen that forcing democracy on a country that's cult whose culture is not ready for it does not work well. And it often creates a more unstable country than it was with the authoritarian in power. So if we're going to help influence them to become democratic, then we should do it through our example and then do it through our diplomacy and not through the end of a gun. It just doesn't work that well. So no, I, I would say, so I, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere, all, in, somewhere, in between, somewhere in between Washington and um, not using the military to enforce it on. Um, I'm sure uh, Washington would also have some word for the Democrats who now are bad-mouthing him for owning these slaves. Sure. And, you know, I said up front, look, he did this, but you know what he also did? He freed the 123 yep. before he, he died in his will. You know, yep. someone's like, he waited till he died. Well, he actually wrote it while he was alive. So yeah. yep. he had this awareness. And much like staying neutral, he knew if he spoke out about the slavery issue, it would divide the country a little right. bit. So, you know, in a way, it's kind of like, I, I guess I could see where he was coming from not to say anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, do you wish he did firstly? And secondly, um, what would he say to the Democrats today that are trying to as battle? Far as, as far as slavery, I would say that Washington, I give him props for putting it in his will if they're freed as, when he dies. And I would also think that he understood that my issue for my generation is establish the country, establish it with the, the Bill of Rights that could eventually get to freeing the slaves. Maybe he would like to figure out he had these top 10 things that he'd like to get fixed, but he knows he only has enough life for three. And if he tries to do it all, the country will fall apart quickly. He might not have foresaw a complete civil war where 500,000 people died, right. but he might, but that's hindsight. I mean, that's so why I would say Washington. I mean, I, even Jefferson, I think probably 
saw it as an evil, even though he himself had a hundred slaves. Right. It, but you know, he, our, our, our heroes are contradict, have contradictions as, as any of them do. I was trying to think though, you know, Washington said the slight difference of shade. Was he right mentioning race when he said that? Put it in the context. I'm sorry. I'm not... uh, I, I have to pull up the speech, but he was talking about the, no matter the slight difference of shade, we're all kind of fighting all this together and making this country together. I think he was the one that said that. I have to go back and okay. look. I don't know if you know. It's from the Farewell of Death. I, I, so okay. Um, um, no, go ahead, sir. Uh, I guess I guess you wouldn't have known that as much. But I just was, I don't. Was, yeah, I don't have enough con- it, it, I, the context around the, the quote to be able to speak on It kind of stood out. Now, what I found is during this whole debate of the Civil War, of Confederate, of Union. We all are naturally pro-union if we're, I don't know, well, I guess in the South, if you're raised, you're not naturally pro-union, I guess, but for most part, most of us are naturally pro-union because we learned about it through the history. But I feel like now, and this is part of the downfall of democracy, we're not teaching our kids all of the history. Like what I'm saying is, it takes a while to really get into this. And I I do feel like I do feel like we didn't really get the crash course. We only got a, a slow, a, a fast read into it. Then boom, union wins, you know, yep. and now it's, you look back, you look at the history and it's, it's much more complex than what they taught us. So that leads me to this. Do you and Dr. Democracy believe democracy should be taught better in our schools? Very much so. There are a lot of young people, I think, who are critical of democracy because I don't think that they maybe were ever given a proper understanding of it. And I would say, uh, I'm sorry, I quote Jefferson a lot, but he said, there is, not a, there, there is not a truth existing, which I fear or would wish unknown to the whole world. Tell junior hires how all the horrible parts of our history, we don't need to sugarcoat our original sins of slavery and kicking out Native Americans. I mean, let it, it is there. They're going to just resent it later if you, if they figure it out on themselves and you tried to sugarcoat it when they were 13 or 14. So I say, give us all the painful parts of our history and say, we are a flawed country that is continuously trying to improve it. We take two steps forward, one step back, then two steps forward, maybe three steps back, but we're, but the natural progression is progress overall. Dustin, then, well, okay, so you teach them at a young age, right? Mm-hmm. Then they start, um, then they start saying that this country is bad, and this. How do we also prevent that? How do we, how do we teach appreciation for this country with all its flaws, and and just leave it at that instead of seeing them then say we hate America? Well, you live in America, so how could sure. you? Hate it? You know, it just escalates into something we shouldn't be in right now. Um. Plato in his in his uh, I can't remember which one it was, but he, he he presented the theory of the forms, which is this idea that everything has this idealistic version, this blueprint, this form of it. And I think when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence and when we wrote the Constitution, they were well the Declaration of Independence. They were trying to create the form that here is the standard. We don't meet it yet mm. now, but we need to constantly try to go after it. I think Martin Luther King Jr. even understood that. He's like, look, they gave us the idealistic blueprint to continue to strive forward, forward, and we need to continue trying to make good on that. And so I would say we, even Bono from U2, he, mm-hmm. he seemed to see it. He's like, 
your guys are the first ones who put these ideas down on paper for the rest of the world to also see. You guys help bring us out of the darkness of that. Yes, there's all the flaws that go along with it, but does it sound hypocritical to put those ideas down if you don't uphold them? No, because the goal is to eventually get there and refine it and continuously try to improve it to get to it. So don't hate the country because of its hate, hate the negative parts of the history. Sure. But overall the country. Well, how about ideals. this? How about we also say not, not, you can hate the, I don't know. I, I just also look at the positive, right? Like Washington main, main narrative is he's a slave owner. who's bad. Now he's being called a traitor. Sure. Which is absurd to me, by the way. <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand that one, Yeah. but, but you have to look at the 123 freed slaves and say, that's what his ultimate goal was for sure. the ones he could do. Um, let's, let's look at the, you know, Thanksgiving did happen. Okay. And they did come to an event. It was bloody, but it came to an agreement. Mm -hmm. They came to finally an understanding where they can mm -hmm. inhabitate. Maybe I'm glossing over because I know then they were put on reservation, when I, but there was a, an agreement there. Right. Point is we all found, they all found resolve. And so I think right now the, the unrest is because we're not seeing the resolve in anything. We're just trying to create chaos. Well, not right. we, but those right. out there on the streets right. rioting, especially, are trying to create chaos. Sure. But they don't understand the full context. I would agree, yeah. Um, ben Franklin said, if passion guides you, let reason hold the reins. And I think a lot of people prefer to let passion guide them. And they mm -hmm. like feeling mad. And they want to find something to be really angry about. And broad it also doesn't help me where it doesn't help me where quarantined for three months. Right. No, no, I would agree. <laughs> I think... Uh, uh, yeah, there's times where I just went for a drive to get out of town. I was I didn't have any destination. I just wanted to get out and go for a walk in the woods before coming back into the city. Well, let me ask you about that. Um, in the Independence, it, it sounds like you've read it all. And by the way, I kind of demean myself. I felt kind of nerdy on July 4th weekend reading the Independence, but I felt better for it. You know, I, I felt yeah. better for it because I was able to put together this podcast and bring you on. But the one line that I'm fascinated by now is they, these people shall derive their powers from the consent of the governed us, the governed, yeah. where did they find that in 2020, they can say, no, we're going to govern you to the point. We're going to lock you in. We're going to do this and that. And then it just felt like steps toward ultimate sure. consent to government sure. control. And that scares me in the long run. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, in my book, in my new one, uh, I also, <laughs> Dr. Democracy, his counterpart, Dr. Dictator, has a five-step process. You have the, it has to be slow. Number two, have a foreign threat that you always have to help blind you to the, the reality of the threat. Almost, right? Sure. And then tell the people that they have to give up a small piece of liberty temporarily to fight that foreign threat and then once they give it up change the temporary to permanent so that you gradually 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 take more and more freedom but i would also say i mean lincoln during civil war was kind of dictatorial temporarily like there was such a drastic thing that he's like keeping the union together might be more important right now than full democracy so i need to be able to act real quick and well, so remind, he gets a lot of criticism on, for that expand on that because i never heard this this part. he suspended habeas corpus so he would jail okay. people without um trial for one and he 
would do a lot of military, um, take a lot of military action without congressional. Hold on, we should just tear his statue down, shouldn't we? Right. Yeah. I was just there yesterday. I thought, that's what I thought. I was jogging up the stairs like, well, some people are probably going to criticize him, even though he, yeah. No, but um, I think there are times, what's that? Does that change your view of Lincoln or do you still find him one of the people that saved this country? Um, I tend to look back on people of history with a little more, not everybody, but a little more forgiveness than I did when I was younger. I was really way too idealistic when I was 22. I was like, man, they should be able to see this. Like, no, I have 150 years of looking back on it. So my view of Lincoln is still... Was there a way to prevent the war and make? I don't know. In the moment, it seemed like things were just hitting the fan too quick, and we had to go to war. And I feel like, I mean, there, there was the, the South soldiers were on the Potomac River. He could see them from the White House. So you need to take drastic action. And hmm. under the guise that you're going to, once the war is over, relinquish that power, not like Caesar and take it on for the rest of your life, but to give it back once the peace has been settled. But that's often, oftentimes not what happens in history. What's the long game for all of this lockdown? And is it really to protect us or is there something other that we aren't really covering right now? Um, I'm sure there's a hundred different influencing factors. And I think that when something as drastic as a pandemic like this happens, you might make, you might make really big decisions and have to, and, that are more than what you actually needed, but I don't know, as a millet, as, a, as an officer, over-preparing is usually better than under-preparing. And I think it was just temporary the, the, the it's getting opened back up. But yeah. at the same time, if people aren't following the most basic standards of dis, social distancing, then it... Well, here's my concern, though. I feel like they're going to take the littlest spike and then use that as an excuse to sure. do it again and that that's kind of my nervousness now. yeah me too i, I don't I, I don't think it should be shut down like i mean my mind's open to being changed i could be wrong but to shut it down the way it was um i don't know that it needs to be that drastic i think i mean it's a it's an evolving pan it's an evolving disease pandemic and virus just like any of them are they said that the back in the, the spanish flu the thing changed so many times that it came back a year and a half later and you were dead within 24 hours once you had it mm. and it was uh but i don't this doesn't seem to be quite that <laughs> that bad but it could evolve in a year from now um I, I think there's so many unknowns that i think as a people that we need to give some leeway um because we're trying well, to figure right. it out I have, within i i have at risk right so i'm i do have a system that is complicated as heck sure so I'm trying to stay in as much like, a, now I was in the city, but I was safely distanced on uh, Saturday night for the fireworks. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trying to go back in there yet because I don't know. I just don't know. And, and I'm trying to do what I can to stay safe. So I get it. But when those, but there are two things. When you're healthy, that doesn't mean you cannot wear a mask when you're right. out, like, you know, right. eating at a restaurant. Now, I guess I get it because, A, you feel young. B, you need to eat, so you don't wear it. Um, it just kind of frustrates me when, when, when I do see that. Now, I'm not going to – have you been out to an outdoor restaurant? Have you oh, been yeah. social distance? I did um, on Capitol Hill, actually. It was, there's a coffee shop I like to go to on Saturday mornings after I run around the mall, and I stopped there and got a warm mask. But I sat outside. Um, 
Yeah. So I mean, most, most people, most people in this town are wearing masks though. Yeah. in the city I rolled past yeah. and they were kind of all just hanging out and look, I don't mind it. Cause outdoors is, um, I guess I don't mind it, but I'm also like the government is trying to put something on that no one's listening to. And that's the farce right. to me. Right. That's the farce to me. I'm going right. to say it's a farce. I, yeah. I can't, I can't put it any other way. And I'm glad I could say that because I'm trying to figure out a way to couch that. Um, you're young and I'm young and Barely. we're very politically minded. So did you find isolation from friends when you were dealing with this party or were they more involved when you were dealing with politics back a, a few years ago? Um, I, I talked to okay, a woman named Joan Blades. She founded moveon.org. Oh, sure. And she's in the past eight years, she has transitioned from that. That's a pretty progressive left-leaning organization, but now she's living room conversations, which is just, it's more about the bipartisan nature, trying to facilitate conversations between people of difference of opinion. And during the pandemic, there was a lot of, it had a lot of zoom um, living room conversations and I, cool. I helped involved with, and they have like a hundred different topics that they try to facilitate conversations on from across the full spectrum. So there was a lot more. I mean, I prefer in person. I prefer, but uh, no, it was. Uh, and by the way, when he was in that. person, when I was at the National Publicity Summit in October, mm-hmm. Dustin jumped like at the front of the line. And he jumped right up to me and said, I got this idea. I got this party. I know you're <laughs> political. I know. And I'm like, all right, I like your energy. And let uh, me tell you, the Zoom uh, National Publicity Summit, I don't know if you've tried that or not. I did not. But um, it, was, it was a little different because you were actually seeing people like this and you can really get the tone. Like, I guess in person, you only have two minutes to react to someone. Right, right. Whereas here, I felt it was a little longer and I felt like I could under, I can judge whether I want to pursue a topic sure. based on the tone. But like, you don't, you don't have all that background noise either. <laughs> right, that's true. And, and you know, my eyes turn my light on real because there's, oh, uh, my eyes uh, dart around Sorry. because there's, no worries. My eyes darted around in there because there's so many people right. looking this out the other. So it's tough to be front centered. But on Zoom, it was like, well, this person's pitches, mm, I don't know. So it's a different in person because you could judge it a little slower, I guess, mm-hmm. than when you were in person. So it was, just, it was an interesting difference. But no, you are, uh, you, you do love the in person. You're, you, I met you in the city and you're doing a great thing and the logos party. Um, very interactive on social media, by the way. Where can they find you? Uh, well, I'm actually going to switch to the logosparty.com is still a site for up now. Okay. But I'm going to, when the new book's done, I'm going to transition just to my personal Dustin Lawson author.com where I have, where I have all my books and um, top, the speech topics and that it'll be a page within that Um coming up pretty soon yeah now you pitch yourself as a former white house speech writer yes does the conversation ever end there or do they really go into it with you like once they get to know you well let me (laughs) funny story like when i came to dc with for that job it's like that helped my dating life or not i can't quite i don't know because it's it's working for the white house but this is more of a liberal town. So <laughs> and on the first date, I was like, I'm a speechwriter. It's like, where? It's like, well, I was appointed by the white house. It's like this white house. It's like, yes, but I'm not, I'm not Republican or Democrat. So it was almost right, like, right. It, you gotta, and, you, and you really had to clarify like, yeah, like it was, it was almost like, okay, this date's over. This guy works for Trump. Okay. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hear me out. That's not, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But um, oh, no, and that's funny because I had um I had mentioned that I was watching it in my job and we're a conservative station and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I do radio, people know that. Mm-hmm. Um and they're like, yo, I trapped someone up. Like, uh, well, uh, you know, maybe. And they're kind uh, of like, they gave me, they didn't leave. They actually just sure. jostled me around a little bit, you know? Sure. So I didn't have a weird reaction. But I think to, when- de- to demonize a Trump supporter is using the same mindset that you're speaking out against. There's a, a closed mindedness in that. Okay, I, I like this intellectual diversity guided by reason. Let's have all the opinions from the far left to the far right, but guided by reason. Mm. Thomas Jefferson also said, error of opinion is welcome wherever reason, as long as the reason is left free to combat it. Let's talk about that for a minute. Do you know, because I mentioned this this morning, um, it is amazing he used the word monument. He literally said, let that be a monument of, you know, dissent and, 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 and then give it a reason to come back. I wonder if he knew he'd be a monument that they'd tear down. You know, I just thought it was interesting to use that word. Uh-huh. Who? Uh, Jefferson. Jefferson, in that, yeah, yeah. in that very line, he said the mm-hmm. word monument. And I was like amazed that he kind of foretold the future. Mm-hmm. Jefferson would say, I mean, I, he, he, he struggled with the idea that we, that they created a constitution that, generations from now are supposed to uphold to he's like every generation should reevaluate the constitution in light of their circumstances i can't foresee what they're going to be going through in 2020 to say that they should follow to the t everything that's in there that's why there's an amendment process so he was he was open-minded enough to say yeah we created a good document but we have no idea what the world's going to face in 200 years whether or not this thing will fit that that context why do conservatives love to say it's a non-breathing document? I always think amendments can still happen 244 years later, can it? Sure. I would agree. And I, I think I think the the Democrat and the Republican Party, they only they, they deny part of their history because if you look at it, the Democratic Party looked like it started off as the conservative party in the mm-hmm. 1820s, and the Republicans were the more liberal party, and they've gradually switched positions over the course of 150 years so they've all both parties have their platform has been far left left center right center far right over the course of their history they've reflected intellectual diversity but they want to be say that they're closed-minded and locked in in the moment 20 years from now it's going to evolve some more yeah well the big thing is the big gag is that they all these people are not anti-war right so this is the whole this is kind of where the protesting premise comes from, is that one claims to be anti-war, but in the end, they will still vote for it, it seems like, mm-hmm. either party. And so that, to me, seems like the big gag of these parties. It's like they say it, and yet they'll vote for it anyway. War's profitable. And uh, they might not want to They might not say be that honest to say that, but... Um, is it needed? Because I know you were a soldier, so obviously yeah, you felt it was sure. needed. Um, I was a public affairs officer. My weapon was words, but I do think that there's necessary, there's definitely necessity for, to have to use the bullets sometimes. But I think that, I think war is the epitome of ignorance. It is, it is a, it it is the epitome of failed diplomacy and the inability of grownups to talk things out. Well, let me ask you this because you're, you, you've been in the military. I know you're Mm -hmm. with your words, but you've been there. Sure. 
can we at least give Trump credit for precise airstrikes on our enemies compared to what Obama? Yeah, I, I would say yes. Um, less civilian casualties, narrowing down the actual parameters of where that bomb is going to be and confirming who's actually in the building. Are we willing to take 10 civilian casualties? No, let's wait 10 minutes, see if it clears out. It's okay, amazing. Guy's still there. Like he literally yeah. pulled out of that airstrike before 10 minutes because he saw sure. what would happen. Sure. What he did on January 3rd actually was like criticized. I couldn't believe it because this guy, you know, uh, the, yeah, the general. Yeah, he, yeah. he was a killer. Oh, yeah. He got the killer, and yet that was a bad thing. I never understood that argument. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I, I do think that it was probably, I mean, I wasn't in the room. I feel like the general probably said, we have these four options. And the, one of the, the fourth option was kill the general. Like, like he didn't expect him to choose that. That was like, this is what I want you to do, but here's the more crazy option. He's like, why don't we do that? He's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got a plan for it. It's like, yeah, I think we should take him out. Yeah, of course, um, the aftermath was that we did get injuries, which sure, kind of was sure. finally revealed. Um, but I still say the the greater good in that was killing the general. Would you agree? I'm not sure. I think um, it's hard. A decision like that, you might not see the ramifications for many months, many years. In the moment, it might look that was a good idea, bad idea. I just think I've learned that politics is not black and white, man. It's Ooh. so rarely black and white. That is my, I came out of college thinking it was, and then I just see a lot of gray where like, okay, you have to, you have to take, I think, um, general, uh, Colin Powell, he, uh, he said, look, you take as much information as you can, but then you got to go with your gut knowing Ooh. full well that there is no black and white. This is hundred percent, the right decision, hundred percent, the wrong decision. And you just live with the consequences of the decision you make. And I think that's probably one of those situations. I would say if you could put yourself in a soldier that was, you know, hurt that night, if how they felt, but I don't know if you want to speak for them or not, but would they say, would they say it was for the cause? Cause I know that people. You mean the retaliatory where we had yeah. a lot of, a lot of concussion issues. Yeah. That would they still yeah. be upset at Trump for that? Or would they understand that that's part of war? I mean, I won't speak in general for every soldier, but sure. I, when we swear, when we raise the right hand and swear in, even if you're going to be a cook, you know damn well there's mm. a chance you have to pick up a gun and run outside. Mm. And, I mean, you know the consequences of what could happen. And maybe there was a better way. Maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know what could have prevented it. You, I mean, retaliate, retaliation was expected. And I think it was minimal compared to what they thought it could be. But I think Iran yeah. knows – Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't want a straight on military, military. Oh, they do not. They do not yeah. want to mess with us, man. Because yeah. we will, we will obliterate them. And I kind of like that knowledge that we can obliterate our enemy sure. like that if we had to. Sure. Um, one other press. Well, a couple of other pressing topics. I don't know how much time we got, but I'm glad sure. we talk as long got as you want. Time. Um, fireworks. They're going off all over the place. How? Oh man, did you look at LA that video? <laughs> that's uh, and wow. that's been trending for years. I mean, yeah. I thought how often how new that is but here in new york that we still got it i literally heard it i was sitting in my bed and i was like relaxing mm-hmm. couldn't sleep because of the fireworks i don't i don't know what i have i do have a bit of an anxiety with them mm-hmm. um especially before they start i don't know what that's about but i could see them shooting up to the like let this story of the house and i'm like what is this <laughs> fireworks aren't normally like that but right. as someone who has been on the ground um 
do you have PTSD personally, and are you affected by this stuff going off all over you? Um, I, I wouldn't. I don't have anything like. I don't have PTSD from any combat experience or anything like that. Like a lot of soldiers I've, I've known, but a lot of the fireworks do sound like gunshots, and mm. I, I wonder. I mean, live here in the city. I'm wondering. Are there people who took this as an opportunity to shoot guns off as well when they hear the firecrackers? Because I'm feeling like, I don't know, it makes me a little nervous. It's amazing you say that. There were 42 shot this weekend in New York, nine oh, wow. killed by the gun. So it, I think you're tapping yeah. into something there. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think you do. And when you're not the police protecting, it's... Sure, sure. Come on now. Um, and then, well, now that we're on that topic, National sure. Guard, military use, martial law, that was a big concern. When Trump said we would use the U.S. military if these protests, these riots didn't stop. I'm going to clarify myself because protest versus riot, there's a big difference. Um, But were you concerned when he said that? Or were you like, all right, this is going to fix everything now? And it really did, actually. Uh, Actually, when I came back to to D.C. a few weeks ago from I was in Ohio, um, I went for a jog down through Lafayette Park. Not through the park because it's blocked off, but I was there where the church is. And uh, just thinking about then, and I would say the National Guard needs to be used very cautiously when it's in a civilian situation like that. Usually you think the National Guard, you think of hurricane relief, mm. tornado relief, um, get, or some issue with a vast amount of snow need to come in and help out. It's more of a, uh, almost like a Red Cross feel for the National Guard sure. side. But there is still moments. I just think that you need to be careful that it's tamping down a riot that's already taken a place instead of trying to come in on protesters that are peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then they start rioting because they get pissed off because you tried to maybe bring in too much more force than they thought. Well, I don't know if they're going to do a study because I still believe that some what we saw, not, not that instance that you're talking about sure, today of sure. that speech, but others I think have been initiated by – rioters that just wanted to be in police face and and oh, yeah. they start throwing things at them yep. i mean that there, there's no doubt that yep. happened i think there's course. people who there's groups that come into a city and start stuff and get mm-hmm. locals in on it and then they leave and the locals get arrested but they're out of town i've heard stories of that happening like like it's just their job it's not job just their goal to and they it. might have coronavirus right <laughs> right yeah. i'm just saying oh, yeah. this is a reality sure. that we're not talking about Sure. Um, so, and then of course I hear on Colbert that there's secret police. I don't know. Is this true that there's like uh, uh, marked cars that say U S police? I don't know what's going on there. You mean, was there a, it look, I heard the story of, uh, like a, a law enforcement group that was brought up from Texas that wasn't yeah. wearing, they weren't wearing insignia or anything to signify that they were what they were. Yeah. Is that, is that like, true? Like what, what happened there? I, I wasn't down there. I see it, but I saw the pictures of they didn't have any insignia on them that signified what they were. So they could have, they were a professional law enforcement. It looked like, but it, it looked like it could have just been a militia group that wore wearing the same uniform. But at the same time here in New York, yeah. we're getting rid of under, you know, plain clothes officers. And that's really working out well, isn't it? So one other thing though, oh, really? Um, Everyone has to be the, 600 no under- members of that unit were disbanded. Oh, that's right. Wow. And really? I'm just like, this is New York. Plain clothes guys are, are probably good. Again, they do broad brushes on these people and sure. that, that these cops, and that's what pisses me off. Um, one other thing, space, right? So we, we just saw, there, there was something when you said the way they choreographed the 
the landing of the airstrikes and everything. Well, that's so much like space, right? They coordinated that so perfectly and so engineered. So is space part of our democracy as well? I mean, the way they do that, is, is there some democracy part involved with space? You mean, you mean, yeah, like the out, outer space, like the sending, space force, like space yeah, and force? sending like Tesla sure. and them sending yeah. them up, up to space. Is there a demo democratic part of that? A democracy is a laboratory of ideas, always trying to expand the knowledge of our, expand the, the parameters of our knowledge as a human species, I think. And democracy helps facilitate that. I think, I mean, democracy helps, it's, it helps, um, give free freedom to science to help push that. Mm -hmm. And I would say very much if we don't, if, if, if space isn't a part of our democracy, it's going to be a part of other people's enemies, dictatorships. Yeah. So, uh, so we definitely have to uh, take into consideration all, all parameters of national security. And of course, NASA is a government entity. So there's that part as well. And I do like the private contract. I think it's time to give others a chance. Yeah. I mean, what, look what they did, man. I, <sighs> I mean, I know it's building off of NASA's 50-some years, but, man, what, sure. what, what SpaceX is doing, to be able to reuse that stuff instead of just spitting out more garbage into the atmosphere right? bring all the same parts right back, that's amazing. Well, and to me, it's also kind of interesting that the last time that I remember seeing a space launch happened to be, maybe there was something later, but the 2003 haunts me, because I remember watching that. Um, and that was our 1986 challenger moment. Right, you know? right. So how is it that a private company could do this and yet NASA really had those failures and yet Tesla's, uh, Musk's first try it was near perfect? Well, he like he had their failures to build off of to know exactly what, I mean, like the challenger, I, I watched a documentary on, they did like a three, four year study on mm. the intricacy of everything that could have possibly went wrong and all that knowledge is passed on to I'm sure to SpaceX to be able to build on and to not have those same kind of mistakes. Cause I'm going to have someone on it later in the week. I should send you this article. Sure. They said the, uh, the challenger thing was a slideshow error or something. I don't oh, know. Wow. I was getting a advice from a slideshow. I was kind of mm -hmm. perturbed by that. So I'm going to investigate that more. Um, you mean like someone saw the flaw beforehand, but didn't but thought it wasn't bad enough to actually maybe in a slideshow they saw that. I have to send that article uh, and then read yeah. it myself. So it's it's very interesting. And yes, your email does have 1984 in it. Can people reach you there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dustin dot loss in 1984. Yep, My final thought, my final question to you is: Are we there? <laughs> are we in Orwell territory now? Oh, definitely. I would say most definitely. Um, Orwell, who is my, I don't like the word idol, but I would say he's like that. He's the form for me. He's that standard that I mm -hmm. will never attain, but you strive, you strive to because it'll always push you as a writer. But he basically said, if you destroy truth, democracy can't, it can't withstand it. Propaganda um, like in my, my metaphor, the body of democracy, the free press has to be mm -hmm. bring in truth because that's what's nutritious. And if we start bringing wow. in too much propaganda, too much partisan dogma, we might, the body might reject it like eating bad food. But then if that's all you feed it, it eventually starts absorbing it. And it's not getting nutrition from it. It's just getting so used to it, but it's still gradually killing itself. 
And the, the less we care about objective truth mm. and intellectual diversity guided by reason, the more gradually our democracy dies until, but the, the number five on number five on how to kill it from within is once you've killed truth, you then change the definition of democracy gradually so that it always reflects mm. whatever your government is. So eventually it could be a dictatorship, but you've changed it to democracy. Well, that's the, I think we have the ability yeah. to turn it around. That's the, yeah, we have sure. the ability to turn this around. So give us your, you started this whole podcast with your immune system analogy. What's the health? Like percentage wise, what health are we at? Are we still in the 80s, 70s, 60s? Where are we at in, in the health wise? Uh, okay. In the military, we have a uh, PT test. A 300 is the perfect score. Three events, 100 points in each event. You have to get a 180 to pass it. Okay. I would say we're like a 200. We're passing the test, but we're not elite health, physically fit. But and I think it is, it, it completely comes back. I mean, partisan dogma is just like, uh, it, 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 when two parties are no longer seeing each other as allies, but no longer embracing intellectual diversity and seeing differences of opinion as a good thing, like it did at the Constitutional Convention, then they start sacrificing truth because they'll, they want to use whatever information is going to hurt the other one. Instead of it's both disgusting. Of yeah. it, it really is. Considering yeah. after one after nine eleven, they were singing sure. "God Bless America" on the steps sure. of the U.S. Capitol together, yep. and now how far we are from that. Yep. Hey, Dustin, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Man. Hour, Thanks for having me on. Uh, we'll have you back. All right, keep definitely. us updated on Doctor Democracy, definitely. and uh, tell him I say hello. All right. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. He's sleeping in a cardboard box down by Ch- in Chinatown right now. He oh, he's I gotta give him a dollar when I see him next time <laughs> yeah, I'm in the city. Yeah. Hey, uh, Dustin, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you again.